My name is Ben Beard, and I own Redcliffe Homes in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm searching for the top tips and tricks of the trade from experts in the construction industry. Today, we have the man himself on his own podcast, Ben Beard. Ben, welcome to your podcast. Thank you. It's great to be on my podcast again. That was hilarious. So, so uh, listeners... And viewers, if you are just going, what is going on? Who is this guy? My name is Carlos Parra. I am Redcliffe's Home Homes Media Coordinator. And we thought it'd be fun for the beginning of the year to just turn the tables, to open up the blinds and whatever construction pun you can think of, of getting Ben in the hot seat and asking him the questions that he normally asks his guests. So Ben, thank you for entertaining this idea. Where exactly are we opening these blinds? What are you trying to show? <laughs> freaking me out here. Well, you know, we, we do have you trapped inside the model home, so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Ben, so normally you, you start off with the guests, and so how, tell us a little bit about yourself, actually. Yeah, um, so I'm Ben Beard, I own Redcliffe Homes. I started the company in 2017. I'd been building with another builder in Las Cruces for about five years, five and a half years before that. And I just needed to make a change um, for different reasons. And we looked at all kinds of things. I had uh, turned down several job offers from out of state and we just, we prayed about it and we really felt like we needed to stay in Las Cruces and didn't know why at the time and still kind of don't, but in a way we do, I mean, we do, right? There's a lot of great things here. We love Las Cruces, um, but it's not close to family for us, for either my wife or I. Uh, it's not, you know, where we thought we'd end up. Like I moved here very much thinking this was like a good first two or three year job out of college. And then two years in, we bought our first house. Two years later, we bought another house. Two years later, we started a business. So. It's a, it definitely is the land of entrapment, but we like it. It's also enchanting. It's good. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think the sunsets are what the enchantment part is. Absolutely. <laughs> Huge part. Yes. Sunsets are phenomenal. It's better than anywhere I've ever seen. Most definitely. The, the entrapment. Except for Lake Powell, sorry. <laughs> Lake Powell wins every time. But nice. Yeah. Lost Christmas awesome. is beautiful. And that, so our, when we first moved here, we lived in an apartment. We, we moved here when we were engaged. I proposed to Heather like 10 days before we graduated college and then I moved down here. And we were, she tr just totally trusted me to come find us a place to live. I, I found a place to live with some, some guys from church over the summer. Spent the summer living in a really crappy two-story house where I was on the second floor and the landlord guy did not want to turn on the AC and it was miserable and I had an air mattress on the floor for the first several weeks and then some girl from the church congregation ward wanted to pay him to store her mattress for the summer in his garage while she went home for the summer <laughs> and I was like I will pay you how about you don't even pay him to store it I will just how would I use this mattress and she's like yeah that's fine so I finally got a mattress instead of just sleeping on this crappy air mattress that deflated every night. Oh my god! I literally, I moved here and went to Walmart and bought an air mattress. Wow. Because I moved here and my Toyota Camry, everything I owned came, well, except what stayed at my parents' house, came with me in that car. 
So even including my pet goldfish. Wow, that's amazing. You know, I, I miss those days of the simplicity of being in college and you don't have every, your whole entire life fit in that vehicle. Yes, I remember those, I remember that fondly. I'd love to go back to that. But I mean, the whole point of that is my wife trusted me to find us a place to live. Yeah. And I found us a cheap little apartment, but happened to be, um, it was on Roadrunner, and it happened to be right at the West End, and we were the last apartment before the Arroyo, and then the dam that's over there by Telshore and Target, and um, Home Depot and everything. And we just had amazing sunset views out there every night and it would just turn our apartment like the red orange glow would just light up the whole apartment we just literally with all the lights off our apartment would just glow for like an hour every night it was awesome oh that is amazing what a wonderful memory it was fantastic so it's amazing like we've lived in you know we're in our second Redcliffe home third new home we're on our fifth home in las cruces plus the apartment and we still, like, I love our houses. I love our home that we live in now. Uh, we designed it, we picked all the colors. It's the floor plan I designed. Like, it's my favorite floor plan because I actually designed it. Nice. Um, but I just, we always, uh, like, fairly often it comes up that we're like, man, I miss the apartment. It was good times. It's just simple, no kids yet. Maybe that's mostly why <laughs> we miss those days. But, like, just the simplicity of life and living on living on the cheap we were so cheap because we were trying to pay off debt and save money and it just did nothing like we set up our date budget around i think it's still so around if we walk down the street to caliches and we both get a mount brownie every friday four fridays in a month that's our date budget nice and that was that was it that is, nice. that is some awesome discipline because Heather and I were, I, for those who don't know, I'm also married to a Heather. Yeah, and, and, right. uh, and, and Heather and I. <laughs> now I have Heather, another Heather in the yes. office, three Heathers. Yes, yeah, three right, right. Yeah, apparently Heather's a very popular name here in Las Cruces. Um, we, I don't think we ever had a budget. We were just like, yep, we're, okay, it's date night where we, you know, let's go someplace nice and let's fit in desserts. Well, this is a weird spin, but let's just run down this road. So we got married and about three weeks in, you know, She's, I added her to my bank account. She's going to the grocery store and getting groceries. And she's, my wife's like extremely frugal. Mm -hmm. Let's say frugal, that's a good word. And she would go, you know, get what we needed for groceries. She wouldn't buy an extra stuff, but I just would get in the bank account and like, money's gone. Money's gone, someone stole my credit card. Like, and I actually, I didn't even use a credit card at that point. I was like, crap, someone, did I lose my debit card? I'm checking my wallet. And it's just the idea that someone else was spending money, even if she was buying gas or whatever, someone else was spending my money that I didn't know when she was or where she was and what she was doing with it. And not that I didn't trust her, I did, and I do implicitly, but I just, that thought freaked me out. And because, you know, you kind of live like, well, I'm gonna paycheck this day so I can spend, you know, this much. And but we weren't on the same page and she wasn't getting a paycheck yet. And it just freaked me out. And so, my parents had given me a copy of Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. And I had listened to it a few times, but when we got married, we said, we are going to go to our, uh, we belong to the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Our church has a temple in Albuquerque. We said at least once a month, uh, even though it's three and a half hour drive, we're gonna go up to the temple and, and do that. 
and we've, we've been very committed to that for the last nine years other than like the months we had a baby or the month before when you're not supposed to travel and we didn't get one we get stuck in the middle of nowhere with her having a baby because I'm not delivering a baby I don't do that um, so she or we, we said you know what that book is like three hours so we would listen to it while we drove up to the temple and then we'd listen to it again on the way home or we or we just talk about it on the way home and so we it was like get on a budget pay off your credit cards you know live completely debt free don't have a credit score and that became like our goal was we are going to have a zero credit like not even not a zero credit score because it's bad we wanted no credit score like you go to Experian and type it in and nothing right and that was our goal i remember when we bought our first house two years in sitting in eddie Diarman's office at citizens bank on main street and telling him like FHA conventional, it doesn't matter, dude, because we're going to pay this house off in five years anyway. And we bought a super cheap old house, and we were just like, we're going to pay this thing off in five years or less, no matter what. And we started making, like, we were paying double a monthly mortgage payments. We were cranking on them, and, you know, anything at the end of the year, we're throwing, throwing extra bonus money on that and trying to pay that thing off. And so that was, we were super financially disciplined. We had our, our cash envelope. We cut up all the credit cards. You know, it was, it was all about the cash envelopes. If we didn't have the cash, we weren't buying nothing. And it was awesome. And then at about that time, we wanted, to, we wanted to invest in real estate. That was always my dream was to fix and flip or to be a landlord. Um, and not that I really want to be a landlord. I just want to have what landlords have, which oftentimes is money and freedom. And, yeah, yeah. And have that cash flow. I wanted that yeah. lifestyle without the problems. Yeah. But, you know, you, you got to go through the painful parts in the beginning so it's fine I get that uh, but we were trying to save up and save up that 20% to buy our first rental property and I was like man this is going to take forever like and I was working hard I was trying to increase my income I was doing side jobs and stuff and trying to but I was like man this is going to take forever to save up 20% and then to go find something that is going to cash flow positive and be a good return on investment have a chance at appreciation like it was going to be tough to find and finally we realized, you know what? Let's just go buy a second house and then we'll just rent this one out. So we did that and I found out, that's where I learned, don't wait to remodel your house or fix it up until you move out. Because we moved out and fixed it up and we only put like five or 600 bucks into it. But I was like, we could have done that when we lived here. Like just, we replaced the AC grills and recalked and painted around them. That alone made the thing feel way nicer than I had before. It was like, crap, don't ever wait. Just remodel to enjoy it. Don't remodel to make money when you're living in it, at least. Uh, so I learned that lesson. But we, at that time, we read Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'd, we'd already been reading like the, the Millionaire Next Door and that kind of stuff. But it, and it's still very like, save your money, do a... 401k, uh, mutual funds, do that stuff. And then read Robert Kiyosaki and he's like, no. Like, yeah, personal debt's dumb, but business debt's good. Real estate debt is good. If somebody else is paying off your debt, that's great. And so I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like we're pretty financially disciplined. Maybe, maybe we could do that. So I was like, okay, let's go buy another personal home and then we'll just turn this one into a rental. So we did that and we had some pretty pretty decent tenants. Uh, our first tenants ever did not have a dog, but they did have a pet pig. 
Oh, pygmy pig or something like that. I don't know. That's some small pig. Lived in a little cage. Nice. Ran around the backyard and dug things up. I don't know. It was weird, but... Um, it, these, these were college kids that, like, literally would not call us for, like, three days and then be like, hey, uh, we don't have any hot water. We haven't since, like, over the weekend. Um, do you think you could, like, help us get that fixed? And we're like, yeah, dude. You need hot water. It's December. It's cold. Yeah. So, but they, I mean, so they were, from that standpoint, they were great. Like, it's not demanding at all, but, um, yeah, pretty chill tenants. And it was, it was a pretty good experience. It paid on time and stuff. So it was all good. But then, um, that, that same mindset, that, that mentality of let's save up money. We were still very much saving up money, but then it, we started to kind of shift to like, you know what, maybe debt's good if we know how to use it. And so we started reading a ton of books and studying more about real estate and investing in ourselves and our education. We did a, we read like all the rich dad books ever. Um, we did a real estate course with Robert Kiyosaki, which I don't recommend because I've done other stuff that was cheaper and better education since then. All those uh, free, you know, come to our free two hours yes. real estate trainings. We did like four of those and a couple of times we did the, you know, let's pay for the, pay the thousand dollars to go to the three day event in which they're going to spend the entire three day event trying to sell you the 20,000 or the $30,000 package. And we didn't do one of those. Uh, we were this close to pulling the trigger on one of those. And then we decided not to because it was like literally every penny we had in the bank. And we were like, mm, let's not. Um, but we just, we continued to live pretty cheap and save as much money as we could. And then when the time came that we decided to start our business, um, to start Rickliff Homes, we were financially prepared that we could live for six months, nine months without a paycheck. And we sold our rental property to help invest into some technology for the business to help us get started in the, the right way so we could grow quickly. And we, um, were, that's that Dave Ramsey mentality helped prepare us for the later on to live the Robert Kiyosaki, you know, now we're Grant Cardone and, and focus on that, that 10x mindset, that growth expansive mindset that first came from that financial discipline of. So, so, so looking at your, at your financial discipline, how does this, how did that tie in? Okay, so, so you, you, you guys were, 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 were savers and frugal, um, building up that cash flow and building up, you know, the money to invest. Um, so where does, where does the connection between obviously investing, but then how you got interested into construction, how, how, how does the two intertwine, if they do? Uh, how did the, the financial mindset intertwine with the construction? More so like, so, so you guys start, you guys are, are renting out properties. Yeah. You have, you, you've, you've accepted your job here, um, but where did, the, where did the interest of, a, oh, of, of construction going there, and then, but also, eventually intertwining the two going, Hey, you know what? We want to create this business and with our savings and with what we've been able to do with investment, how, how did you connect the two together? So we I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that I'm going to invest in what I know. And so in the beginning it was just throw my money in these mutual funds and hope and pray. And the company I worked for at the time had a, had a 401k program, had a match. We took advantage of that. 
you know, and that match was free money for us, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it was a great deal. Um, but honestly, like, I don't think we ever made money in that account. All we did, whatever earnings we had, because it started small, right, uh, was just went towards fees. So I swear, like when we cashed that thing, or we didn't cash it out, but we converted it mm -hmm. um, away from the company, 401k after we left the company, and the deal, that, that all the money that was in there was what we contributed and what the company match contributed. The thing never grew on its own because all we did was sit there and pay the stupid fees. And it just drove me nuts. And I, I look at these statements of, you know, like, and I had to remember, I had Dave Ramsey in the back of my head going, you're investing for the long term. Don't even look at the statements, just throw them away. And Heather was always telling me, stop looking at it, don't stress. I'm like, but it's these fees, like, well, I don't understand these fees. This is so stupid. But ultimately, I just, I don't see this stock market. I don't look at it daily. I don't understand it. I can't control it. And I said, to heck with this. I just can't do it anymore. And so I'm gonna invest in what I know. And what I know is construction and real estate. And I'm obviously have a lot more to learn and, and want to continue to learn and study more about construction and real estate and how to be a better investor in those things. But when it came time to start the business, I said, I'm not gonna just start a home building business. I wanna look at this from an investment point of view with the few dollars that I have to start this thing, what kind of return on my investment can I, can I get? And with each project, if I put a dollar into a project, how much can I get back out of that dollar? And you know, if I can take a um, dollar and put it into a house because I can get basically 100% leverage, then you know, even if I only make five grand on the house, which is not, I mean, if I only made five grand a house, I'd be screwed, to be honest. Like, um, I mean, it'd be fine if we, as long as we cover all the costs and the overhead and everything else. But like, if 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 um, if that's all I made, my in, my return on that one dollar invested is just what five thousand times yep. the money. So, where else can I get a better return than investing in me and my education, myself, and and my business in in growing that? Um, so I think that answers your question, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as like why construction, because I got into it when I was a kid. Uh, I liked it. I always liked building things. Um, I always liked looking at real estate. Uh, never as a kid really knew what I was looking at or what I was doing, but I always liked the idea of real estate and homes. Um, I always wanted to be a fix and flipper. I kind of feel like I don't have the courage to go do it because I don't know what's behind those walls. Versus now where I know like new construction, I know what it's gonna be. And if I build this wall, I know what it looks like on the inside. And I know what I'm gonna find. Yes, there are surprises occasionally, but generally speaking, I know what's there and how much it's gonna to cost to build and I can control it a lot better. And so I have more confidence in that. And so it's just, again, it goes back to that. I'm gonna, I wanna, I'm investing my money and my time in this business and I want to control that make sure I'm getting a good return on that time and money. Awesome. No, that makes total sense. Especially, you know, yeah, you tear down those walls and you really don't know what you're going to find. And there could be leaks, there could be mold, there could be any of that, any, any kind of surprise there. Um, okay. So let's, let's take us through, through your, your journey of how you got where you are in your career today. So I started my career my working life 
at, I don't know, 13 or so for raking leaves. Um, it was like an official job, like the guy, he was my bishop when I was a kid and he was an older um, real estate broker, uh, big ranches, like big professional multi-hundred million dollar ranches. Um, like each one got its own book made. Wow. Very formal gentleman, very like, um, anyway, very formal gentleman. And he like wrote me on this card stock, this wrote out this job description and you know, would give me these card stock, really nice uh, time sheets that I would fill out every week and out of my hours and pay five bucks an hour to go rake leaves. He had this huge field and these big trees and I would just rake leaves for hours. Wow. So that was like my first, first job. And then, you know, doing yard work for people around the neighborhood and stuff. And then I got hired on the grounds crew at 15 for a local uh, water park and did that for a summer. And then the next summer I want to be a lifeguard because everybody in my family, everybody in my town wanted to be a lifeguard. And so I was a lifeguard for the summer. I loved it. And then the next summer I was going to be a lifeguard again with all my buddies. And I had a seizure right before oh, no. the school got out. And with that, they were like, yeah, you can't be a lifeguard. You can go back to grounds crew. And I was like, man, I don't want to go back to grounds crew, picking up the trash. And so my buddy, uh, one of my best friends, ever worked at a plumbing supply shop. He's like, dude, come work with me. You get paid a lot more money and you can actually learn something. And I was like, all right, I'll try it. And I'm pretty sure I only got the job because my grandpa went to church with the guy that owned it. I was way late in the summer and I'm pretty sure he just hired me because it was a favorite of my grandpa. But it was fun, I liked it, I learned a lot. Um, got, to, got to see a lot of things in the store and learn about plumbing, specifically landscape plumbing. And sorry, yeah, got to see and learn all this stuff about landscape plumbing and I just really enjoyed it. And uh, then I was gonna work there again the next summer, but I was graduating at that point, I was graduating high school and my family grew up boating. My family had a boat since I was like a baby and that was our jam. But that summer that I'd worked in the plumbing supply shop, I had to work every Saturday. All of us had to work Saturdays because it was the busiest day because everybody was coming in doing their yard projects and whatever. And so I couldn't go boating a lot that summer between junior and senior year. And senior year was over and I started working the spring season there in the plumbing supply shop. And my parents were like, hey, you know, this fall you're gonna go to college and then you're going on a mission, you'll be gone for two years, then you're gonna be in college and moving on to whatever, wherever. I don't think they moved now they moved to New Mexico, but um, they said like, this is kind of your last shot at having a boating summer. And I'm so glad that they thought that far ahead because I certainly was not. <laughs> but I was like, you know what, you're right. And so I ended up quitting my job and got a job with a framing contractor. So to pause you real quick, it almost seems too, I mean, with, with your parents actually stopping you, you know, or saying, hey, you know, enjoy your summer. 
the trend I was looking at, literally, as you were telling me the story, was okay. You go from raking leaves to the plumbing, but plumbing landscapes, and I was like, oh man, would you have ended yeah. up as a Could landscaper be. or a plumber? Or well, I thought about it, and and we'll we'll get back to that. In uh, and, and so I got, I got a job framing houses, and I did that for a summer and loved it, man. It was it was Monday through Friday, early in the morning to mid afternoon, hot as could be. Uh, I was just the grunt labor guy, but we just knocked out how I worked with a crew of six guys and it was fun, man. Uh, it was a blast. I knew, I knew I didn't want to do the labor side forever, but I, I really enjoyed it. And the funny thing is, is I didn't know anything, but the other framers had been framing for a while. There was a couple of really experienced guys uh, that would teach me and stuff, but the superintendents for the builder, we were building track homes, very production home neighborhoods. Um, I say similar to what we build, but, but uh, like on a cheaper scale, um, cause I feel like our homes are a lot nicer than the homes I was building yes. and I never saw any of them on the inside. So I don't know, they could have been very nice, but they were very small, very simple. Um, I don't think they had garages or anything they were, or some of them did, some didn't, I don't know. They were small. Um, and we would knock them out super quick. It was fun. But when I'd see the superintendents, I almost never saw the superintendent for the builder. Uh, but when we would see them. The guys on the framing crew, the experienced guys were like, ah, that guy's a freaking moron. He has no idea what he's talking about. And they jump out of these shiny new company trucks or their own personal trucks. You know, these guys are making the big bucks. And so we just kind of internalized that like, oh, superintendent, he has no idea what he's talking about. He's a moron kind of thing. This attitude of this 18-year-old cocky, knows nothing about anything kid. <laughs> um, but my, I think it was that summer... You know, I'm trying to figure out, I didn't really want to go to college. I didn't like it. I was, I was pretty happy framing houses. I thought I'll just keep doing this. But my parents were like, no, dude, you got to go to college. And my cousin married a guy who was getting a degree in construction management. And I was like, you can go to college for construction? A, why do you need to? B, if I have to go to college, I guess that's, sure, I'll study that. That's cool. Uh, I'm not, I, I did well in math, but only cause I worked my butt off and stayed hours after school every day, uh, for the second half of the school year, the first half of the school year, I was swimming for two hours a day. The second half of the school year, all three years of high school, cause in Utah it was, it was just three years of high school, mm -hmm. but all three years I spent the first half of the year, two hours after school every day at swim practice. The second half of the year, literally every single day in my math teacher's room getting help with math because I just, I, I could get it, but it was slow to understand it and I needed a lot of help. And I, I think I there's amazing teachers that were willing to do that for me. Awesome. And um, because of that, I never had to take a math class in college, which is amazing. Nice. Uh, except for physics and that was terrible. And I did poorly, but I barely made it through. Uh, but I just, I, I didn't want to go into engineering. I knew that was not going to work well. And uh, so I was like, sweet construction. If I can go to college for construction, why not? Let's do it. So I ended up finding out um, he was graduating from Utah Valley University, right next to Brigham Young University. I ended up going to BYU because they had a better construction management program. At least that's what I was told. And I don't know. And, um, so I went there and um, got my degree in construction management. During that time, I had a point of time where I was uh, super broke. I wrecked my car twice in two weeks. 
totaled it twice in two weeks. Um, don't recommend that. It's, it's not no, good, not but it literally wiped me out. Completely no money at all. My dad and his business partner at the time had purchased a home, that, or they had hired a builder to, to build a home that they were gonna sell. Pause. Okay, so as you could tell watching the video and if you're listening, uh, hearing the podcast, we had a knock on the door. So our our conversation, our, our just interview was going so well that we didn't even realize that that hour just flew by and somebody that was actually doing a uh, interview for one of our open positions here at Redcliffe Homes, uh, it, was, it was their time for the interview. So we had to cut things short. So we are back on it. So obviously that's why we have different different clothes on. But uh, so yeah, we are, we are now rocking and rolling on this on Monday, day two of this podcast interview. Hold so, on, are we gonna break this into multiple episodes? Or is this just <laughs> one long episode? I think we could just knock out an entire television season. <laughs> Not bad, <laughs> um, okay, so we left off where uh, your dad and his business partner had had just bought a home, yeah. um, and you had totaled out your, your your vehicle, and so so continuous from there. Okay, so my I was dead broke. My dad and his business partner uh, had this home that was being built, and they were no, they'd been renting it out. That's what it was. They'd been renting it out, and they wanted to sell it. But in order to sell it, they wanted to landscape it because it hadn't been landscaped. I think I'm telling this right. I don't know. It's a, long story short, they needed the yard landscape. So I, going back and circled back to that uh, landscaping shop experience, I took it to a local landscape supply store that was like almost identical. They used the same computer software and everything as, as the store that I'd worked at as a kid. Um, they designed the whole thing for me and sold me all the parts and I just bought the package. Uh, I had to learn stick to go up uh, to my grandpa's house, borrow his truck so I could go get all these materials. I ended up having to, I was trying to dig out these trenches by hand and there was just all this rock and it was super tough. And so I ended up renting a uh, ditch witch thing to go to go uh, dig these trench lines, crank, that th crank those out in a day or so and took it back and then I, uh, got the landscaping installed. It was a bit of a project. It was a definitely longer process than I thought it would be, but it allowed me to make a little bit of money and, uh, and, and kind of get through that, that short period of time where I was completely dead broke. Uh, may have been a care package or two from mom to make sure I didn't starve, yes. but uh, we got through it. And I don't remember why we were talking about that, but it's okay. No, it was, it's, it's, it's circling it's back to. I think we were talking about the money piece or something. I know we yes. talked about that. Uh, there was there there was about um, Heather and finances. I think you guys had just gotten together and you guys were kind of learning that. Yes. Yeah. That so, so that was like a year before I met Heather. Maybe okay. maybe two actually before I met Heather. But then we. Anyway, so, so I, I think I was saying that I had started from the bottom, right? So I, I did all the stuff as a kid. I did that in college. I uh, got, gra I graduated, got the job as a superintendent. Uh, I actually got the job as a superintendent before I graduated. I was bound and determined that I was going to be like one of the first guys to get a job. And I, and I did. I locked down the job in like February before nice. graduation, um, which maybe, I don't know, there, uh, there's some competitive thing going yes. on in my head. Like I got to be the first guy to have a job locked down. 
Uh, and then I was all jealous of my friends who go still going on interviews and interviewing and weighing different options and stuff. But uh, graduated, moved down here. I was I was a superintendent. Then got married, and the whole thing about me freaking out about Heather spending money, and we started. We got hardcore into Dave Ramsey, and we were saving money. And I was looking for every opportunity I could to make extra money, and so I got uh, started working with my electrician. He was paying random guys or paying some of his workers to show up and dig trenches, run the the main electrical trench that would connect the house to the to the uh, box in the street. I remember. pedestal. That's the word I'm looking for uh, to the electrical pedestal from a pass electric, and so. He, I would talk to him one day. I was like, who's this guy digging for you? He's like, just whoever I can find, man, because it's, it's hard to find somebody that wants to show up and dig these trenches. I'm like, well, what do you pay? And he tells me. And it was it was two bucks. Uh, I think it was two bucks a linear foot or something like wow. that. It was like a dollar per square foot, no, regardless of the size, width of your track uh, shovel or whatever. So I was like, I could do that. Yeah, I'll do that. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah. When's your next one? I want to do it. And so I started showing up. I do them Saturday mornings. I do them early mornings before I go open my houses, go dig some trench for an hour or two, go home, shower quick, and get back out to the field to do my job. Nice. Um, but I, I did, I did it whatever, man, because it was it's not about well, I'm a superintendent. I, I, I got to be this uh, you know cool guy driving a big truck. I didn't have a big truck. I will. Uh, I think I've always had the uh, smallest, crappiest truck on the job site. or pretty close to. Taking a weird sense of pride in that. Um, that Heather and I talk about sometimes. It's my weird, weird quirk that I have to drive the oldest, crappiest truck on the job site. But nice. You, you know, I used to do that when, when when I was doing sales for a phone book. That's exactly what I did. Was I bought this small vehicle, usually a Corolla, mm-hmm. usually in the 1990s, because I would just run it to death. Right, you're yeah. putting on so many miles, just and it doesn't matter. You know, other other guys had to have that BMW. It was like. Why? Yeah. You're, you're just devaluing it. So I, I, can, I can relate to that. Well, I'm starting to see now, like, okay, there's, there's a point at which I should have a nice truck and I should wrap it and put my logo on it. Because I'm yes. not putting my logo on my current truck. I just, I'm not. That's not associated <laughs> with my brand. And that's my other thing is, like, I don't want to have a company truck that, because I know how I drive. I speed. I, I try not to cut people off. I'm a pretty courteous, aggressive driver. Is how I would turn myself. We're gonna make sure not to send this to your insurance agent. I am a safe driver. <laughs> I have not had any accidents since the time I figured out that I have depth perception issues. And since then, I've not had any accidents. And all my speeding tickets have been swept away before insurance ever knew they happened. Because <laughs> nice. I figured that system out. You do the plea in advance every time and then drive safe for six months and then you're good. Yep. Just don't go on your record. Yes. Do that. Keep a clean driving record and you can get off most of the time. It's awesome. Anyway, getting back to the topic at hand, I just, I, I've never had the attitude of I'm too good for that. I, I still go clean up job sites. Uh, I, when I'm walking around, I'm always going to throw, clean up something because they're too messy always. And I just have always had that attitude of I'm going to, I'll do whatever it takes. Uh, I have four or five full-time jobs right now within my role in the company and that's what it takes right now and hopefully at one point i'll just have one job but until then i'll have four five six ten jobs whatever it is nice and that actually leads us into our next question is what is your role 
That's great. At Redcliffe Homes. Well, my uh, first role is as a business owner. I try and keep that first. Not always good at remembering to keep that first in mind, but I'm working on it. Uh, so, uh, you know, as a business owner, it's it's about working with my people, hiring, recruiting, training people. Um, so definitely in, a, in an HR role from, from that standpoint still more than I necessarily would like to be. Uh, it's not my skill set, although I've been working really hard on developing some of those skills and, and um, abilities this year. Uh, the last two years, 2020, we turned over the entire team, 100%, everybody except me, including I fired my two kids. <laughs> my son was six or seven and my daughter was four or five. And they were both working for the business, making a little bit of money, cleaning up my office and shredding papers and all this stuff. And my kids had to get fired, man. They just <laughs> couldn't cut it. They didn't want to keep doing their jobs. And it was a whine and a fight with mom. And so I was like, hey, you don't want the job? It's cool. I got it. I don't pay myself the extra $25 a week for <laughs> shredding papers. In fact, I don't shred papers. That's something I've been able to offload. But uh, yeah, it's a, it, was, it was a crazy year uh, for turnover in the company. And then 20, I was like, I'll never do that again. And 21 has been just as crazy for, was turn, just as crazy for turnover. Um, not because we turned over everybody, but a lot of people we did in some positions several times during the year, unfortunately. Um, but there's several reasons for that. Um, in part because of our, our changing grow and growing expectations and, and change, we changed our core values early in the year. And so for some people that just didn't work, just change the core values and change the emphasis. And we changed the vision dramatically for the business in 21. And so it just, for some people that just didn't work. And as we've tried to grow tighter, stronger in our company culture, we've just said, this is, we got to hold the line. And, and if you want to be a part of this, great. We want to have you on board. And if you don't, then you don't. And that's okay. We like you. Nothing wrong with the people we fired. They just weren't the right fit for the organization. Mm -hmm. um, and some people just quit because, I don't know, maybe they didn't like me or didn't like us or whatever. But that's okay. I know people don't like me. It's all good. <laughs> um, I can, I can live with that at the end of the day. Uh, just because I know of what we're, I know what our big vision is and the goal, the impact that we want to create that's ultimately going to help so many people that I'll get over it if some people don't like me. The kids that go through the programs that we pay for might not like me and that's okay. And they'll never, never work from us. They'll never meet me, most of them. You know, I mean, a billion dollars to help how many millions of kids across the country, across the world, they'll never meet me and that's okay. Um, whether they like me or don't or whatever, agree with my politics or not, I'm, it's all good. Yep. I just want to help people and and provide an opportunity because I think there's fantastic opportunity in the construction field. So um, I, ha I have that HR role. I have the, uh, I do the purchasing and estimating still. That's my, my background and, and uh, I really like that part of it. Truthfully, if I could just sit back and do plans and estimates and, and spreadsheets all day, I'd probably be happy with that. Nice. Um, I'm also the construction manager, so I'm overseeing our superintendents, training our superintendents. Currently, today, still, for the last, oh gosh, it's been, a, it's been two months now that I've been uh, filling the role of our customer success manager, handling all the warranties, uh, which has actually been great. Uh, when I, four years ago, I hated warranty. Three years ago, two years ago, six months ago, I hated warranty. 
And I realized that it's just because we weren't providing a high enough, high enough level of service for our customers because I know the changes we've made in that department and what we're doing there and me actually carrying it out and providing that remarkable level of customer service for experience or remarkable level of customer experience for our customers. And I know I'm not perfect at it because I'm juggling eight other roles and I'm not doing that full time, but it's made me feel so much better about that role. Like I actually, I told my assistant Sada the other day, I was like, I actually like warranty right now. Um, sometime then I went to an appointment that was like some kind of chintzy stuff. And I was like, really? Come on. But, you know, so still get annoyed by some, some things. But uh, I actually like that role because I realized that we are putting so much time and effort and energy into serving our customers and doing that so well. And so I'm really proud of that. And, I, and I've started to really enjoy that role. Uh, I'm still currently overseeing the sales team and working with our marketing and um, obviously doing marketing uh, stuff, recording videos. We were just doing that before this. And I'm, I like that part of it too. I, that's something I'll continue to do probably as much out of necessity as out of desire. But, you know, I've, in the beginning, I told my sales reps I, uh, that we started with, I was like, hey, I want you to kind of be the face of the company. And I realized that just doesn't work. That can't happen. I, as a business owner, I have to be. And I want to be now. Uh, not because I love it or I, I hate actually hearing my own voice. When I, I have to confess I'm not a good audience of my own podcast because I hate hearing my own recorded voice. I, I think that's everybody. Stupid. Well, yeah, but I don't know. I just, sorry for you guys listening. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I feel bad. I like my voice is not great. I wish I was like James Earl Jones or somebody that had this cool voice, you know, Jocko Willink or Leif <laughs> yes. Adam. You know, these guys have these awesome, like, whoa, Navy SEAL voices. I just don't have, I feel like it's really high pitched and squeaky or something. I, don't, I still squeak a lot like a 12 year old boy. So <laughs> that's fun. As an adult man, but uh, so I, I think I covered. Oh, I'm doing the land acquisition, um, managing rental properties part time. With I kind of split that with Heather. I mostly just do the paperwork. She does most of the, the management. Um, but I, I handle whenever there's issues with the tenants um, and go get things fixed or whatever, just because I have that knowledge and the skills. Um, so and I have the relationships with people to get stuff done. So, I think that's pretty much my goal. So building all the hats. I think so. <laughs> I may have a dusty one laying around somewhere. So, okay, so we know what your role is. So, what does Redcliffe Homes do? Redcliffe Homes is a fantastic new home construction and sales company. And I say that very specifically uh, because we are a construction company, but we're also a sales and marketing company. We have to be by necessity. Um, that's if we, if we, I started the business really just thinking of us as a construction company. And that just, my mindset just doesn't work in today's world. Like we have to be comfortable marketing and selling. And it's actually fun. And I've re learned to realize like I do enjoy a really good salesperson and a really good sales process. And so we're trying to create that really good sales process and create uh, fantastic sales people in our organization. And that starts with bringing it in-house, having it controlled. That's why we don't use outside realtors. We use people that are on our team, in our business, all day, every day. That's all they do is Redcliffe Homes. So they're 100% aligned with our mission, vision, and core values. And that way, they're working on the same things that we are, and we're working to support them. And so we're, we're a sales and marketing company as much as we are a construction company. 
So we have our uh, project management software that supports the back end of the business, the purchasing, estimating, accounting. Uh, oh, I'm also doing a, training our new accountant and uh, overseeing that and involved in the finances as well. That's part of the business owner hat, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, then we also have our front of the office uh, sales system, our customer relationship manager CRM that uh, that we use to run the front side of the business and send emails and. Um, post social media content and all this stuff. So we're a, we buy, so Redcliffe Homes buys, generally speaking, buys finished land, finished developed lots from developers, and then we build homes and we sell homes and then we service the homes. Uh, but we are also getting into some land development projects uh, from a, with a new entity that's also Redcliffe, um, that we are going to develop our own subdivisions in some cases, in some neighborhoods, in some locations. Uh, for different reasons, and that allows us to kind of control that piece of it as well. Um, I don't, I can't tell you that we're trying to become a full-on developer. That's not necessarily the goal. It's just trying to keep enough lots out in front of us in the right locations and like right price points of land to be able to serve our customers on the home building side. Awesome. So, and so you kind of you, you kind of touch base too with. Um, with our, our with customer service and, and warranties. Can you elaborate and go in a little bit deeper just so if people don't know or this is the first time they're actually hearing about uh, a home being warrantied? So at Redcliffe Homes, we, we talk about our Redcliffe Homes peace of mind. That's our guarantee that goes on every home. That means to me really four things. Number one, that we do a five point or if we do five major inspections on the home 130 plus point checklist that we revise and update continually to add new items as we find more problems and try and avoid those problems in the future. So we have this internal inspection process with our superintendents and our customer success manager going right behind them, following up, checking that checklist and checking on the superintendent. And then um, the customer success manager meets the customers at their walkthrough. And I'm going to the, we call it a customer success manager instead of a warranty manager. I think for most builders, that's a warranty manager. I don't want to manage your warranty. I want to manage your successful experience, entrance into your new home. Our, we talk about new beginnings. Our customers are starting a new chapter in their life. It's a fresh new beginning, and we want that to be successful for our customers. And so that's why we have a customer success manager, not a warranty person or a warranty manager. Um, so the, the CSM is there to, to really work with the client um, at the time of closing, make sure all the items are done or anything that didn't get done for whatever reason from during construction gets taken care of after the, we do a 30 day walkthrough, a six month walkthrough and 11 month walkthrough. And then um, before closing, we also, sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'm not finishing that point. This, the CSM schedules those walkthroughs. To me, it doesn't make sense to say, we do these walkthroughs if we rely on you as the customer to call us and schedule it. So we proactively schedule those to go out and set a time with the customer to go we'll do a 30-day walk, a six-month, 11-month walk. So we're there with you all the way through that first year uh, to make sure that we're taken care of and staying on top of warranty items. Now, all of our work is subcontracted out. Uh, we don't have any in-house labor crews. So if something gets done, we issue service orders to the vendors. They don't all get to them as fast as we would like them to, but that's part of the CSM's job is to really hold the trades accountable and remind them continually. Every Monday we send out their, hey, here's all your open service orders. Here's the ones that are coming up on two weeks old. That means delinquent. That means we're gonna hold your check if you don't get them done. 
And so we were trying to hold these trades accountable because it really, at the end of the day, it's a reflection on me, it's a reflection on us as Redcliffe Holmes. Nobody knows Joe Plummer that is late coming to snake your clog drain. Excuse me. Um, they know Redcliffe Homes built a home, and that's who they hold accountable. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to hold our trades accountable. And so we, we, hold, we expect, you know, we hold ourselves to a pretty high standard, and we're working on implementing that with our, with our trades and holding them to that same level. Um, also, before the home closes, we encourage our buyers to get a third-party inspection. Uh, third-party inspectors, a licensed, insured, qualified individual, come out and inspect the home. And we, ins- we encourage that, incentivize that by reimbursing the homeowner for that cost at closing. And so we don't pay for it up front because if we're paying it, then we're buying the inspection and that doesn't, mm-hmm. then it's not third-party. We want it to be a truly third party. You choose your inspector. Uh, we reimburse up to a certain amount, which I've never seen one that's invoiced for more than what we reimburse. Um, so we reimburse for the, the whole, bit, uh, I mean, up to a certain amount, that third party inspection, as long as it's a licensed and qualified inspector, you can't just send your brother-in-law to come pick apart the house that thinks he knows what he's talking about because he's an engineer or whatever. Uh, it has to be a licensed third party inspector and they come out and inspect the home and that a it keeps us on our toes and makes sure that we're, you know, looking for everything. Uh, but it just gives you as a buyer peace of mind that hey, somebody else has been here that's not incentivized to tell you that they did a good job. They're there, in fact, to find things that are wrong. And so when they find something wrong, we take care of it unless we have a reason to say that the inspector's wrong, which happens occasionally. Sometimes inspectors have different ideas of what's standard, what's not. They might be used to inspecting older, older used homes, and so they're not used to things that are the way they are today. Um, so there's sometimes issues that pop up there, but generally speaking, um, and they're not generally familiar with building codes, and so they sometimes want things a little bit more strict than what building code, and some of those things will do because it's not a big deal. Some things will just say, look, that's not a code issue, not a safety issue, not even an aesthetic issue, it's just a thing that the inspector called out, and so we won't handle that. But uh, generally speaking, we take care of most of the items from the third party inspection, get those done, um, ideally before closing if possible sometimes those things roll into warranty mm-hmm. and then uh, we do our CSMs there to do that those walkthroughs with the customer uh, 30, 60, 90, uh, 30 days, 6 months and, and 11 months and then once that one year warranty is up we're not just throwing you to the wolves and saying good luck with the house uh, we have a third party inspection or excuse me, third party inspection before closing third party warranty after closing and so we provide that whole first year we do that internally and then we turn you over to Quality Builders Warranty, or QBW. QBW is one of the top new home third-party warranty services out there. They're actually backed by Liberty Mutual Insurance. And so that's a big household name that's incredibly financially stable and secure, as is QBW. And so you've got two big companies standing behind Redcliffe Homes because let's be honest, like today as the company is in 2021, 2022, if I died tomorrow, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, like Redcliffe Homes is, is going away. My wife has very strict instructions about you're not trying to run the company, just shut it down, build out everything that's in process and just shut her down and be done. Um, but they're, uh, those guys are there to back our homes if something ever happened to Redcliffe Homes. Obviously, we want to get to the point where if I die, nothing, you know, Redcliffe Homes keeps rolling just fine. But until that time, our homes are protected because we've got that third-party warranty. 
So that all of that, those major things roll into our peace of mind guarantee. Awesome. That's, that's, I've always looked at that as such, such a huge value to a homeowner, um, especially because we'll, we'll just do a whole other video about my horror stories by used homes. Um, <laughs> well, and, and, I, and I should mention that the, as far as the value, the, the QBW warranty, the 10-year warranty does uh, transfer. So if you buy a home you, after a year or two or even six days, you've got to sell it for some reason that QBW warranty is fully transferable. Oh, that is, that is fantastic. Well, that just builds even more value yeah. into a Redcliffe home. Okay, so so we, we now have your role and what you do. So, so we're gonna kind of dig in a little here and go, what do you see as the biggest challenge for our industry? Uh, the biggest challenge to me is labor. Material costs are crazy right now, whether that's COVID related or not. I mean, that's certainly where it started, but I don't know, man, it's just things look weird to me in the market. Um, who knows what's going on with inflation? But to me, the biggest challenge is labor. If we don't have enough people, we can't build enough homes. And so that's that's our big issue. That's why that's what we're, we're addressing with our trade education programs. Yeah, well, and then that's essential, right? Build, building, taking people in the present now and building toward that future. Yeah. So that, that, that's, an, that's an amazing program to, to be a part of. Okay, and so not only, so, so we, now we have our biggest challenges, but what do you see as our biggest opportunities? Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity in improving the efficiency, um, whether that's gonna be 3D printing, whether that's gonna be more offsite construction, uh, panelization, prefabrication, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. There's a lot of different companies that are working on that in different ways. Um, I would love to be able to dig into some of that and look at more efficient ways, ways to build with less labor, less material. Um, there's always opportunity to, con to continue to improve the service in our business. Um, we've thought of a lot of different things we'd like to start doing. It's just a matter of do we have the time and the bandwidth to start offering those services, additional services after closing, whether that's paid or something we just build into the home. Awesome. Um, and this, this question is a little more off script because I just, it just you just dawned on, on, on me as you were saying that. You ever see something, so we, we just had a McDonald's completely tore down. Yeah. And how quickly that thing went up. Do you, do you ever see that happening to, you know, to, to residential? Oh, absolutely. Uh, other markets where the land price is, so, the land is so valuable. I mean, land is irreplaceable, right? Mm -hmm. So once you're an older home in the middle of a city, that land has certain value tied to it, even though the house itself may be in disrepair and need to be torn down. So there's an inherent value to that land. And in some places, that's become a very popular, there are businesses in Big cities, I've got a friend in Birmingham, Alabama, that's primarily his business is tear down wow. and rebuild brand new homes on in, in the middle of old neighborhoods because the land's so valuable. In Las Cruces, I don't foresee that being a problem for a while yeah. or becoming a real thing. I've looked at some, some infill projects and would like to do some more of that. It's just hard to get the land at the right price where it's, you know, because I'm not just buying a piece of land, you know, people want to sell their land for retail. What, what that retail inherent value is mm -hmm. problem is I got to go put another 15, 20, 30 grand into demolishing, getting it back to just empty land and right now. It's got a giant liability sitting on top mm -hmm. of it. And so I, I can't pay retail price when I got to go pay somebody to go clean up the land and get it ready for me to build on. Yeah. 
thank you for, for indulging that question. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so how do you see the industry changing over the next 10 to 15 years? Um, I think there's certainly more home automation. Our wireless switches, to me, are gonna become industry standard, whether it's that particular product or something very similar uh, from a major manufacturer in lighting or whether these guys get bought out and that becomes a mass market product, whatever. I think some kind of wireless lighting makes all the sense in the world. Uh, save copper, save labor, save time, and provide more value to the customer. Why not? It's a, a very little extra cost. It's a no-brainer to me. Um, there's a lot of options, I think, as far as, again, the, the automation of the construction process, whether that's 3D printing um, or panelization, prefabrication, whatever that looks like. There's a lot of different options there that I think will save time and, and money. Um, I'd like to see a lot more, you know, I think we're going to continue to see code changes that are going to improve the energy efficiency of the home. Uh, unfortunately, that often drives up the cost of the home. Yeah, the solar ready and the zero energy ready and the net zero codes that are in place in some markets are just, it just adds to the cost of the home. It does. Um, there's ways to make it cost less than it traditionally does, but it's gonna continue to increase the cost of homes. Uh, but it makes the home more affordable and, and hopefully higher quality. Some, some people are able to find ways to meet the letter of the law without meeting the spirit of the law, and that's unfortunate, but that's gonna probably continue to some extent. But at some point, I guess the codes will get so tight that you have to actually really comply with, with the, the intent of the code. Awesome. So, so we're kind of looking into the future. So if you get up and you're walking out to the model home, you jump in your DeLorean and you go back into time and you see yourself, right? You, you're going back to the first day on, on, on your job in this industry, what kind of advice do you give yourself? I ask that question all the time, obviously. And I have not even thought of my answer. I think my, my answer has to be along the lines of think bigger. Um, I think I said that earlier that, uh, you know, so many times business owners get caught in 1x problems and that drives away their 10x people. And I know that that's been a problem for me. It's, I sometimes love just getting into those details, the nitty gritty, the 1x things that I should just hire out and pay for and so I can focus on the big picture. Mm -hmm. So that's something that uh, I think I would give to myself. And really, I guess to go back to my very first, first days, you know, is would be believe in myself. Believe in yourself. Believe in, have some self-confidence because I limited my opportunity for so long because I just didn't have the self-confidence that I could do the things that I had dreamed of doing when I was a kid. That's awesome. I love that. I love that, being able to build self-confidence. Okay, so we normally have some rapid fire questions. So first one is, uh, what is the best advice you've ever received professionally? Best advice is to find one tree and water that tree. Uh, Grant Cardone talking about, uh, you know, I spent, I spent years in a cubicle listening to books and I went from author to author to author and got all these different ideas. And at the end of the day, I was chasing all these different ideas and what I needed to do was just pick one thing and get really good at that one thing. And so that's, that's my best advice is pick one tree and water that tree. Uh, who have you learned the most from professionally? 
Um, I learned from a ton of people. I would say my, my most recent mentor probably has been the most impactful. Um, Brandon Dawson with Cardone Ventures has been hugely impactful for me, developing myself as a leader, helping build myself belief and create a much bigger vision and mission than I thought that I was uh, capable of even two years ago. I love how your the visions expand right from those mentors and just pushing you to that next level. Uh, love it. Okay, so now we get what we normally don't get to do on this podcast is the Las Cruces rapid fire questions. Oh. Red or green chili? I'm not a big chili guy. If you had to choose, green. Uh, pecans or pistachios? Salted pecans from Felicis. Ooh, nice. Plug, plug. Pozole or menudo? Not a big fan of either. Okay, final question. What makes Las Cruces a great place to live? There's a lot of things about Las Cruces. I think we talked earlier about the sunsets. That's probably one of the top three for me. Um, I have to say, I have to be honest. This is my confession time. (laughs) The Oregon Mountains. I grew up at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. Like Those are mountains. These are like little... Sharp hills. They're big rocks. And I'm just not that impressed by them. Uh, They've certainly come to grow on me the longer I've lived here. And that's like, that's our thing, right? So I like it. But I'm like, well, Picacho is also cool. Picacho Peak. uh, The the other mountains, the Dungana, like they're pretty. You know, I just, I like mountains. So the fact that we can look out, you know, any given window in the house and see some kind of mountain sticking up somewhere, even if it's not huge. I like that. Um, and I like the weather. I like I moved here from Northern Utah. I don't like snow. I don't like cold. I don't believe in less than 75 anymore. <laughs> and so that's my, that's my reason for loving Las Cruces. Probably that's my number one is the temperature. Yep. Short sleeves in December thing is great for me. And then sunsets and, and mountains. Ben, thank you so much yeah. for coming on to your own podcast. Well, yeah, anytime, really. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, Listeners, viewers, please like, subscribe, ring that bell for notification. Or if you are listening to this as a podcast, just, you know, like us, uh, share with, uh, you know, share this with your, with your friends and family, uh, people in your industry. We just appreciate that. You guys have a great day and stay safe. Absolutely. And please do like and share. And we're trying to grow the size of the audience. So please uh, share it. And also if you are someone in the construction industry that would like to share your story, or if you know somebody who you'd like to learn more about and they're in the construction industry, or something related, uh, suppliers, um, developers, uh, construction industry servicers, like marketing companies that focus on the construction industry or anything, I'd love to share their story, lenders, whatever. Uh, please connect us with them as well because we want to keep sharing more stories to help inspire young people to come into the fantastic construction industry. Ben, sorry, I almost forgot. Where can everybody find you? I try to be really easy to find. Um, I'm on Facebook. Just, I think, Ben Beard. I don't know. Just Ben Beard. Um, At Ben Beard Official on Instagram. My wife makes fun of me because I'm her Instagram husband because I'm on there way more than she is. Um, At Redcliffe Homes... So just it's at Redcliffe Homes NM on Instagram, there you go. Facebook.com slash Redcliffe Homes, yeah. LinkedIn. We're uh, Redcliffe Homes is on LinkedIn. Then we've got Facebook on the Ben Beard uh, Ben Beard Show, Facebook, Instagram, and 
We don't have a website. Not for the Ben Beard Show. But if you want to find the website or the, the podcast being hosted on the website, of course, that's redcliffhomes.com. Redcliffhomes.com. Yes, there's many ways to get a hold of me. Just reach out through one of the many ways. We're also on YouTube. I had a YouTube channel for a while. I think it's still there. If you want to go back and watch my... Uh, I was focused on sharing my cold shower thoughts for a while. So that's good times. If you want to go see... Uh, there's no nudity. Don't worry. But... Yeah, it's just me standing in the cold shower telling you what I'm thinking about while I take a freaking cold shower. That's what I was seeing on Facebook. Okay, that yeah. explains it. Yeah, on store, or maybe it's Instagram stories. That's what I, I still do that. Yeah, I did. well, I started doing some Instagram stories because I've not been providing updates about my English Channel Swim lately. So I, I was sharing some of those because I got my swim spa down to, uh, it was 65 on Thanksgiving before I heated up. Took a, a couple weeks to get cooled down, but was back to 69 this morning while it was like 35 or something else. I was freezing when I went out to swim this morning. There you go. Thanks for listening. I hope that you've learned something from our guest today. The Ben Beard Show is sponsored by Redcliffe Homes. The purpose of this podcast is to help young professionals find mentors in this crazy construction industry that we're in. If you have a story to tell about your road to a successful career in construction, I'd love to hear it. Please like and subscribe to the podcast to hear from all of our amazing guests. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at The Ben Beard Show.